Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the Watermark OC Church Sunday Message. Watermark is a generational community that is crazy passionate about starting a conversation about God, your relationships, and authentic love. If you're interested in getting more information, please click the link in the show notes for next steps. Thanks again for listening. It's our hope and prayer that this message would transform your life. Be with you. Hey, good to see you guys this morning. I'm Pastor Bucky, that's Pastor Ben, and we are so excited you're here on the most important day historically for the church. Uh, we want to celebrate this amazing, great news. As Ben said, the most worthy day, the most worthy event in all time. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is risen. Amen. That's the greeting of the early church. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And we're in this gospel called Luke. Luke was a physician in the first century. He wrote his gospel, his good news about Jesus to a friend. His name was Theophilus, a guy that he wanted to point to Jesus. Theophilus was looking for wisdom. He was looking for worth. He was looking for meaning and purpose in the first century. Luke wrote this gospel to this young man to point him to Jesus and to say, Luke, Uh, Theophilus, only Jesus is worthy of our worship today. He is unique. He is one of a kind. He is God with skin on, and he is worthy of our worship today. Why is that? Why does the church uh, celebrate around the world this amazing day, the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Why do we call him worthy? Well, if you look at the Gospel of Luke and you unpack The mission, the meaning, the man Jesus, you'll see that his character was one of a kind. As you open the pages of all the Gospels, all the Gospel writers, you know, they don't focus as biographers, as storytellers. They don't focus on Jesus' stature. They don't say he was this tall. They don't look at the quality of his skin, uh, what he wore, how he postured himself. They only focus on his character, the quality of his heart. And Jesus' character was amazing, one of a kind. As you unpack his stories, as you look at how he touched people, how he communicated, how he loved the people right in front of him, he was full, full of joy, full of peace, kindness, gentleness, self-control, passion, strength, and courage. You know, in Jesus, you have this amazing bundle, this amazing blend of diverse excellencies. He was kind of the complete package as a human being. Uh, If you were drafting in in a pro sports league, the NBA draft is coming up, and everybody's looking at who's the best guy, Zion Williams from Duke. Who's this person, that person? Well, Zion's the complete package. He can dribble. He can shoot. He can play defense. he He can do everything except maybe shoot free throws, but he's pretty close. Well, morally, character-wise, Jesus could do everything as a full human being, including shoot free throws. He did it all. He had this amazing blend of strong independence and self-confidence matched with a deep dependence on God and others. You know, he had this amazing humility and gentleness, and yet this strong, towering confidence He was both tender and tough at the same time, blended beautifully. He, as as the Gospel of John would say, he was full of both grace and truth. 
Usually you, you find people that are stronger on one side or the other. We talk about strengths and weaknesses. We do strength finders. What's my strength and what's my weaknesses? Jesus had a beautiful blend of all the strengths coming together. And it amazed him amazing person in dialogue with so many different people. He hung out with lepers and prostitutes, those at the lowest of the lowest society. He also dined, right, with, with the richest and the most wealthiest, the, the Pharisees and the religious elite. He was comfortable, he was powerful, and he was purposeful with all of them because his character was one of a kindly unique. He would have been amazing in the political debate in today's world. Is Jesus a Democrat or is Jesus a Republican? He's neither, and yet he's both. He's both the strength of a liberal and the strength of a conservative brought together in a beautiful bundle submitted to selfless love, which is outside of the debate today in my estimation. Where is the sacrifice and the selfless love? Jesus would have been cheered by much of the the political public, but at the end of the day, they would have crucified him. Because he would have loved them and he would have challenged them to the core. Just like they did in the first century world. Jesus had character that was one of a kind. Jesus also made claims that were one of a kind. There's a great business book that I studied when I got my master's in business. It's called Built to Last. Anybody heard of that book? Written by a guy named Jim Collins. It's a famous business book. And it, it's, he, he studied organizations that he called were built to last. They were organizations that were sustainable, that went beyond the norm, that had supernormal returns. And he said one of the things about these organizations is that they have these BHAGs. BHAGs, big, hairy, audacious goals. Organizations that have BHAGs are usually built to last. Well, you know what? Jesus Christ had BHAGs like nobody else. Big, hairy, audacious God statements. Big, hairy, audacious God statements. He claimed to be God. No other teacher, a famous religious teacher, ever did that before. He claimed to have the authority to forgive sins after he healed a, a, a man that was a paralytic. He said, your sins are forgiven. That was only permissible in the temple through the high priest and sacrifice. He was claiming to be God. He said, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I invented the Sabbath. I am the inventor of rest. I alone can bring and understand what rest is. He claimed to be eternally preexistent. He said, before Abraham was, I am. He used the covenant name for God in the Old Testament. He said, I existed before Abraham. He, He received worship. After he walked on water, his disciples bent down and he allowed them to worship him. He said, I have the power over life and death. I am the resurrection and the life. He said, I'm going to come one day and I have the authority to judge the world. I know the intentions and thoughts of every man's heart. And I know the way, the true way to God. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus had BHAGs. Big, big, hairy, audacious God claims like nobody else. And that makes Jesus a huge challenge. For the religious leaders of his day, for the scholars of our day, for the people who live in this world, historians, Jesus is a huge challenge. He's a challenge for me. He's a challenge for you. Because where do you put him? Is he just another teacher? 
uh, like many of the world religious leaders, is he just another teacher? Or did he make claims like nobody else? Here's what Tim Keller, a great Christian scholar, says. In the whole history of the world, there is only one person who not only claimed to be God himself, but also got enormous numbers of people to believe it. Jesus claimed to be God, and enormous numbers of people believed him. Only Jesus combines the claims of divinity with the most beautiful life of humanity. There's a lot of religious teachers that did amazing things. Muhammad, Buddha, right? Uh, Confucius, but none of them ever claimed to be God. They claimed to be prophetic. They claimed to point the way to God, but only Jesus said, I am the way to God. I came to make a way to God. Jesus made claims And the beauty of his life backed it up like nobody else. Only Jesus is in that great circle, but yet only he claimed to be God. What do you do with him? What box do you put him in? The liberal scholars of today's world want to say Jesus was just a good man and a moral teacher. Historically, you can't put him in that box. You have to deny the historical record. You have to throw out all the things that people that were closest to his life said about him and make up another story. Jesus is either God or he's not. He, he's either a counterfeit, right? He's crazy because he faked it out and he, he claim, made crazy claims. If somebody made claims like that in America today, some great leader, you would say they are crazy, certifiably loony. If Mother Teresa said, hey, guess what, guys? I'm God. Hey, Mother Teresa, I think you need to see a therapist, Right? Jesus made those claims and people believed him. There's people that have claimed to be God, but they haven't had many followers to bind to that. Only Jesus Christ lived the perfect life and made the perfect claims. Why do so many people follow him? Why do so many people follow him in the world today? Do you know that every day in the world, 50,000 people say yes to Jesus Christ? You know, globally, every year, 19 million people say yes to Jesus Christ. His movement is waning in the West, but it's exploding, right? In India, in Africa, in China, throughout the world, Latin America, the church is flourishing and the gospel is being told. And people are, why do so many people follow him? Well, many would say, because of what happened on Easter morning over 2,000 years ago. It wasn't just his claims or his character. as what happened on Easter Sunday 2,000 years ago. It was a game changer. As some of women, women who were his followers came to a tomb to anoint his dead body with spices, it was a lonely walk to a dead Messiah. Here's what Luke records in chapter 24. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, The woman took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away, which was surprising to them. And they were wondering what's going on. See, they had hoped a week earlier on Palm Sunday when the crowds praised Jesus and said, Hosanna, they had hoped that Jesus was the one to make Israel great again. They had their MIGA hats on when he came into town. Make Israel great again. They were looking for a political solution. They wanted a great government leader, a military power broker. They wanted somebody that could get the economy back on track. They were looking for a Messiah that would be an earthly king and take care of those issues. But they were sorely disappointed. Within less than a week, Jesus is betrayed by one of his best friends. 
He's handed over to the religious leaders who were threatened by him, and they, they condemn him on trumped-up t- charges, and then he's crucified on a cross, and he dies a terrible death, that of a criminal, and the game is over for them. You know, Friday was not a good day for them. It was bad Friday for the original disciples of, of Jesus because their good Messiah was dead. Game over. Their movement was done. They were going home. The women are walking in shame to the tomb. They're in darkness. They're grieving. As they walk to anoint his body, their beloved one is now dead and the movement is over. Where's the men? They're nowhere to be found. They're fleeing and hiding because if that could happen to Jesus, that can happen to me. I'm out of here. That was the movement of Jesus that now bears 30% of the world today. How did that happen? What happened in the change? Well, what happened was when the woman looked in the tomb, they didn't find a dead Messiah, right? They found the news of a risen Lord. Not a dead Messiah. He is risen. As they looked into the tomb, two men were standing there, shining bright with white. And the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. He has risen. Amen. He is not here. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man? That was a messianic name for Jesus. Must be delivered over to the hands of sinners. Be crucified on the third day raised from the dead. The women's despair was met by incredible wonder of an empty tomb. And these two angelic messengers telling them that he is risen, right? He is not dead. They say dead men tell no tales, at least at Disneyland, right? The greatest place on earth. But guess what? This dead man told a tale because he is alive. He is risen. And these women are astonished at this news. Amen. It is worth celebrating because this is the greatest miracle of all time. In spite of Jesus' words... Back in the Gospels, three times in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus told them that he was going to be betrayed, he was going to be crucified, he was going to die, and he was going to be raised. But they didn't get it. Why didn't they get it? Because resurrection, the way Jesus did it, was not in their worldview. The Jews had an idea of a resurrection, but that resurrection was at the end of time. After the Messiah had come, after he'd established his kingdom, after he'd set everything right, when there, was no, when there would be no more injustice, no more suffering, no more pain, and the Messiah would set everything right and sit on his throne, and then there would be a, a resurrection of the righteous, all the righteous. It was a team thing. It was a corporate thing. No one ever could conceive that one man in the middle of time, before everything had been taken care of and set right, would rise from the dead. It wasn't in their wheelhouse. Why is Christianity dying in the West? Because there's something that's not in our wheelhouse anymore. Because our worldview is philosophical naturalism. We believe that science has all the answers of everything in the world today. And it's only natural, it's only explainable, there is no such thing as supernatural. Miracles can't happen, resurrections can't happen, because science has proved that all we are is natural people. And so here is your story. You came from nothing, you have no purpose, you have no meaning, and you're going to nothing. That's the scientific story that people are living under in the world today. 
It's called in America, in the West, philosophical naturalism. We're skeptical to anything that is supernatural. That is why people don't believe in the idea of a resurrection or miracles or anything. It's because of our worldview. That's not happening in Africa. That's not happening in Latin America. That's not happening in other places because they're open to not only science but the supernatural as well. And that's the difference. We struggle with the same worldview issue. And they did too, but Jesus turned their worldview around because they saw these women that the potential was that he was alive. And so suddenly, they start the original Me Too movement. What are you talking about? The Me Too movement didn't start in America. It started at the empty tomb. Did you guys know that? Did you guys know that the Me Too movement started in the empty tomb? tomb? What What are you talking about, Bucky? Well, these women remember these words, and they come back from the tomb, and they tell the things to the men. And the men say, you guys are crazy. Crazy women, hysteric. There's no way. What are you talking about? This is nonsense. Well, you know women in the, in the first century were unreliable. Did you know that? Women in the first century were second-class citizens. Women in the first century were viewed, reviewed, reviewed as property. They couldn't vote. They had no testimony in a court. They were second-class citizens. No one would believe their testimony they were unreliable. They were hysterical. Uh, Greeks thought they were half-gotten men, right? This is the, view, the terrible view of women in the first century. And I love Jesus, because what does he do? He makes them the heroes of this story. Where are the men? They've run away to hide. You know, they're cowering in the corner. The women come back. Oh, my gosh. You guys are just hysterical women. The women are the heroes. The women are the first eyewitnesses to the empty tomb. Do you know how meaningful that is for them? The honor that they receive in the story? We don't think of it this world because we have a lot more equality. But in that world, to put women at the beginning of the story, you would have never made cowards of men and heroes of women if you wanted to sell a story to the world. You know, this is actually, historians look at this and say, this is actually why this is a reliable document. Because many people think that the disciples made this up. They made up the story of Jesus' resurrection. They took the body, they stole it, and they hid it somewhere, and they made it up for political gain. They made it up for power. Well, if they were going to make up a story in the first century, they would never put women in the middle of it. It would have been the men who were at the tomb with a resurrection man. Yeehaw, we knew it all the time. That's not the way it happened, right? Because they didn't make it up. It's real. It's historical. This is the way it happened. Nobody believed that Jesus would rise. The men ran away, and the women are the ones that received the good news for first. Isn't that awesome? Way to go, women. You're awesome. I love you. Uh, we got to listen to you more. i got to listen to my wife more. Every time I say she's, she's hysterical, you know what? I get it wrong every time. <laughs> These guys did too. This is actually the reality of the resurrection. But you know what? If it's just... An empty tomb and some women running around. I can understand. I'm a little skeptical. But guess what? That's not all there is. The body starts to show up, right? People think that they stole the body. Where's the body? Well, guess what? The body's alive because it starts showing up. We have an empty tomb and we have post-resurrection appearances. Seven of them in the Gospels. This is one famous one in Luke. They're still arguing about what's happened. The men are discussing it in the room. And all of a sudden it says, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace be with you guys. Oh my gosh. He shows up right in the room. 
They were startled and frightened as anyone would be. They thought he was a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? Why do you doubt? Why, why do you doubt? Why does it rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. It's a physical body. He's not a ghost. Uh, skeptics would say people hallucinated this. They hallucinated Jesus. They made him up. They, they, it was, they, they wanted it to happen so bad. It was just, I know he's gone to the, to the heaven and the sky. And so I wanted it to happen so much, I made up the story. Jesus said, I'm not a ghost story. <laughs> Touch my hands. Touch my feet. This is a physical reality, a resurrected body. Jesus Christ actually wrote. This is not resuscitation. This is not reincarnation. This is resurrection. Christianity is a resurrection movement. Jesus is alive, and that means we could be alive too in our bodies, a physical resurrection. It is I myself. Touch me and see. He said to them, this is what I told you I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that he could understand the scriptures. This is not a ghost story. This is a God story. And it's been written since the beginning of time. I would encourage you to look at the rich history in the Old Testament. And all these books point forward to the coming of the Messiah. And all these prophecies point forward to the one who would fulfill them, and Jesus fulfills them to a T. Is he a reigning king? Yes, he's a reigning king. That's when he will come back and do. But what did he come as the first time? A suffering servant. On Good Friday, we read Isaiah 53. Read Isaiah 53 and see if it doesn't depict a Good Friday like no other. It is written 700 days before 700 years before the coming of Jesus Christ. And it depicts the suffering servant on Good Friday. You see, Jesus fulfilled the scriptures. This is all a part of a bigger God story for all of us, for you and I. You see, you're not just some natural being that came about because of ra- random chance accidents. You have been created and made in the image of God intelligent design. You are image bearers. God created you with incredible worth. He put you on the top of creation. He made you to be in relationship with him and steward to the creation. But the Bible says we rejected God's leadership. We rejected God's love. We rejected the knowledge of God and we walked away from God and said, I can find my worth in my own way. I can find my own worth by my own control By my own efforts, by my own power, I can find worth in money. I can find worth in my achievements. I can find worth in my success, in sex, in anything. I can find worth and I can achieve my own self-worth. And so we walked away from God. We disconnected from the creator. Instead of worth, we got death. We got shame and destruction and guilt. Look at the news. Look at our divided government. Look at the next generation. Look at the suicide rate that's going through the roof right now of kids that are killing themselves because they have no worth. They don't understand their purpose. Look at kids in school who starve themselves, girls on my daughter's volleyball team, because they have no worth. Their body's not enough. Look at the destruction. Look at the falling apart of the family. Look at the mess that we're in because we've walked away from God and we're trying to find our own worth, own way. And even religion is a mess. Religion says you can find your worth by achieving your worth before God, by doing moral perfection that nobody can live up to. 
And what does it bring us? Judgment and pride and hatred. Religious judgment and pride and hatred. A mess through religion. Jesus struggled with religion himself. He challenged the religious leaders. He didn't come to establish a religion, guys. He came to establish a grace-filled relationship with God. You see, your worth doesn't come from those things. You can't earn it. You can't gain it. You can't control it. It only comes from God, and Jesus came. God sent his son to restore our worth in him. That's why they call it Good Friday. Why do we call it Good Friday? Is the cross a good thing? No. The cross is a place of unworthiness. Is a criminal's death a good thing? No, that is an unworthy death. Why do we call it Good Friday? Because he alone is worthy. It is God on the cross. Jesus Christ came to die in our place. Jesus Christ alone is worthy. That's why they call it Good Friday. For you know, Peter, a disciple of Jesus, who denied him three times, who cowardly walk away, and then after the resurrection became the greatest leader in the church and proclaimed Jesus and then died himself for what he believed. His life was completely transformed by the resurrection. And here's what he says. This is the worthiness of Jesus Christ. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed. Silver or gold can never give you worth. All the silver and gold in Orange County can never give you worth from an empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. You, religion can't give you worth. That's the way of life you got from your Jewish. You got religion. You didn't get authentic relationship with God. But what you were redeemed with was the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Jesus Christ was the payment price, the purchase price for your worth. The precious lamb of God. What does he say, lamb? Because all throughout the Old Testament, God knew. He knew that the law could not make us worthy. And so in the law, he put a sacrificial system. And every year, a lamb would be taken. Right? And he would be killed. And that blood would be shed. And that blood would be received on an altar. An innocent would die in the place of a guilty. He is the innocent, perfect lamb of God. That's why God sent him. He is worthy. When John the Baptist saw him, he said, Behold, there is God's Lamb. He's coming to take away the sins of the world. And so on Good Friday, Jesus died in our place. And a great exchange occurred. We talked about this on our Good Friday service. God takes the righteousness of his Son, and he puts us in our account. Imputed righteousness. God takes our unworthiness, our unrighteousness, and our sin, and he puts it into Jesus' account. Jesus pays the price for our unworthiness, and he exchanges his worthiness, and he covers us with this. And now when, G when God sees you in Christ, you are worthy. You are now without blemish. You are now without defect. You are holy and blameless in his sight. You are worthy because of the precious love and blood of Jesus Christ. That's what makes us worthy. That's why Easter is so powerful, because the resurrection said it worked. It is finished. The price has been paid. And now God has given you through his love the gift of eternal worth and eternal life through Jesus Christ. You see, we are made worthy by his love. Not by our own works, not by our own strength, not by our own power, not by our bank account. 
Not by how many friends, how many likes we get on Facebook, not by our performance, but by his love. He loves us no matter what. He loves us this much. That's what Paul says in Romans. You see, at just the right time, we were still powerless, powerless to save ourselves, powerless to make ourselves worthy on our own. Christ died for the ungodly, the unworthy. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love. And that while we were yet sinners, when we were unworthy, Christ died for us. See, God doesn't just love us when we're perfect. We do good things. We're able to keep up sometimes. God doesn't just love us. He doesn't just love us when we're good enough, when our good just goes a little bit better than our bad. He loves us when we full-on mess up. When we blow it, when I yell at my wife, right? When I'm angry with my kids. When I mess up and I I curse the jerk that cuts me off on the 405 freeway. Ever done that before? I have. As a pastor, I'm saying I'm unworthy. When I blow it, when I don't fulfill my promises, when I'm not a good person, when I lack integrity, when I tell a white lie, all those things, God still loves me in that place. And he loves you too. No matter what you've done, where you come from, what you're going through, God loves you that much. You know, guys, I didn't always know this. I did not always know this message of worthiness. For the first 32 years of my life, I didn't know this message. I grew up in this area of California, and I did everything to make my own worth known. At first, it was basketball. I'm going to become a pro basketball player. But you know what? I only became a college basketball player, and it wasn't enough, and I felt unworthy. Well, then it's, it's school. I got straight A's, and I got straight A's. But you know what? After I got straight A's, I didn't get into the graduate school, Harvard or Stanford, that I, sp- I was supposed to get into. I only got into UCLA. That wasn't enough. I wasn't worthy enough. And then the job I got, it wasn't enough. My friends went to Wall Street, and I went back to a family business, and it just wasn't enough. It was never enough, and I went to church. I was a religious guy. I went to church. I said that I believed in God, but you know what? I never felt enough because I felt like I never prayed hard enough, or I never read my Bible enough. I never did enough. I felt shame because I knew that I always fell short. I didn't feel worthy. I felt less than. I felt not enough. I was empty at 32 years. I had everything in Orange County, and I was empty. I was lonely. I was broken, and then God in his sovereignty, allowed me to have a beautiful son. And you know, I, I always wanted a son. I wanted a son that could be a, a, a pro basketball player because I wasn't one. He was going to be a better businessman because I wasn't one. He was going to do these things. He was going to be worthy. And he was going to make me proud. And I named him Bucky. I named him after me. He's going to be a chip off the old block. But something was wrong during the pregnancy, and we didn't know what was going on. And then when my son was born, he was born with Down syndrome. He had an endocardial Cushing heart defect that was going to require heart surgery at nine months of age. My wife and I were broken. And these dreams of my son being this worthy one were, were shattered before me, and I didn't understand what was going on. I didn't know it. I couldn't figure it out. I was struggling with God and all this stuff, because how was my son going to be worthy as a Down syndrome child? I felt shame. I didn't want my neighbors to come over to my house. I was just freaking out. And then we brought my son home, and I began to hold him and care for him. 
I began to look in his eyes. I began to feed him and hold him in the middle of the night, and I saw him smile at me. I looked at his beautiful face. I saw his hair, and I was captured by love. I didn't understand what was going on. I fell in love with this boy. Deep down to my heart, I fell deep. And God was working on me and showing where my true worth really would come from. He was using this boy to break through my heart. And before baby Bucky went into surgery, I wrote him this card. It's on my desk today. I wasn't a pastor. I was a businessman in Orange County. I was chasing after Worthy. And I wrote this to him. And he changed my life. God used him to change my life. Baby Bucky, I wanted to write you and tell you just how much you mean to me. For the last few months of my life, it's been a grand escape into love because of you. When I asked God for a son, I thought I would get a basketball star, a business genius. Instead, I got just what I needed, a star that broke my heart. You have given me the greatest love of my life. As God has prepared you for heart surgery, he's also been doing heart surgery on me and changing my perspective on love. Over the last few months, as I have looked into your eyes, as I've held you and spent time with you and seen you coo, and I've seen you stare back at me, I've seen a love and experienced a love like I've never had before. I think I've got a little glimpse of what heaven is going to be like. I know a little bit how the Heavenly Father felt when he looked at Jesus and said, you are my beloved son. Baby Bucky changed my life. God used him to confound my head and all this unworthy stuff to get into my heart. God did cart surgery and I realized for the first time in the same way I love my son. He can't earn it. He can't perform for it. He can't do anything for it. And I love him to death. And the spirit of God was saying to me, Bucky, that's the way I've been loving you your whole life. I sent you people to tell you that. I've given you a wife to tell you that. I sent you my word. I sent you my son so that you would know that. I've been trying to tell you this all time. I love you. I love you this month and much, and somehow God's love invaded my heart and it changed me. It overwhelmed me. And I got the love of God. I understood it was about God's grace. I understood that he accepted me just like accepted my son, and that was the gift of his love. And my worth came from him. And that's what the Bible tells us, that eternal worth is received. It's not earned. It is received, it is a gift of God's grace, salvation, life with God, forgiveness, freedom. It is all a gift of God's love who looks at us. Even though our hearts are broken, we're confounded, we have performance syndrome and condemnation syndrome and guilt syndrome, God breaks through and he wants to love us right to our heart. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. That is the good news of Easter. That God sent his son to save you. Not just to save you, but he loves you. He wants to be with you forever. He wants you to know that you are his beloved child. He wants you to know that through Christ you are worthy in his eyes. Have you received that? Maybe God brought you here today because you've been struggling, you feel unworthy, you don't understand the love of God, and you want God to break through into your heart in a way like he's done, never done before. Maybe you've tried to earn your worth. 
You've tried, you try to be enough for God and for others, and you realize today that you're not. And you need to open your heart because God wants you to give you the gift of eternal life through his son, Jesus. He wants to love you right where you're at. Not for your performance or not for anything you've done or haven't done, but because he loves you because he does, because he is God and he is love. And he sent his son to die for you. Ever, ever received that? Have you ever opened your heart and asked Jesus to be the Savior and Lord, to find your worth in him? The band's going to come up, and we're going to close our service here. We're going to have a chance to pray about this. And maybe Jesus and the Holy Spirit is talking to you, and he's saying, Hey, I want to be in your life. I came to forgive you. I love you this much. And maybe today is the day that you're going to open your heart and say yes to Jesus because he's calling you to trust and follow him. Maybe some of you here have walked away from God. You've walked away from church. You're burned out on performing and religion. And you realize today Jesus didn't bring you religion. He brought you relationship. No matter where you're at, no matter what you've done, I find that people walk away from God when they have problems and hurt in their life. Deep hurt in their marriage, deep hurt in relationships, Maybe even in the church, a friend hurts them, they've gotten struggled, they've been through pain, and they sort of walk away from God because of that hurt and that pain. And maybe that's you. And maybe you're realizing that God came to suffer for you, and he wants to suffer with you. He wants to heal that hurt and that pain. Through forgiveness and grace, that's the way, it's the way of the cross. It's never through power or bitterness or revenge that we get back at those that hurt us. It never works. It is only through forgiveness and love. And it starts by letting God forgive us and love us right in our pain, right in the struggle of our marriages, right with our kids, right where you're hurting. God wants to show you his love right there. And maybe he's calling you to come back home to him, to come back home and sit in his lap and receive the Father's love. Wherever you're at this morning, I just want God's spirit to minister to you. Would you bow your heads right now with me? Holy Spirit, would you move in the hearts and the minds of the folks here? And Jesus, you are our Savior. You're worthy. You're Lord. And Father, I just want to pray for everybody in this room that if today is their day, if you're knocking on their heart and it's time for them to say, Jesus, I'm all in, that you would move on their life. And if God's speaking to you and Jesus is talking to your heart this morning and you want him as your Savior, you want to find your worth in him, I'm just going to ask you to do something courageous so I can pray for you, so we can mark this day. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand to God, to Jesus, to grab onto him and say, Jesus, I want your love for the first time. I want salvation. I want my worth in you. I see one hand there. Does anybody else want to receive Jesus Christ? I see those hands there. I see that hand. Does anyone want to receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord for the first time? To receive him, to receive his worth and his love. Also, does anybody want to come back to God? Does anybody want to come back and re-engage? You've walked away and you want to come home and you want to receive, receive the healing and forgiveness. Just raise your hands up and say, Jesus, I want to come home. I want to come back to you. I've walked away and I want to come back to your love. I want to be worthy in your love. Father, you know the hearts of those that are raising their hands. Jesus, you came as a Savior and a Lord. And so if you, if you want to receive Jesus, just pray this prayer in my heart. Jesus, Follow my lead. Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm unworthy. And I accept you as my Savior. 
I accept you as the king of my heart. I accept you as my Lord. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for freeing me, making me holy and blameless. I receive the gift of your eternal life and I ask you to breathe resurrection power in me today to my family, my marriage, and to my life. Jesus, thank you for your love. Father, all those who prayed, all those who are coming back, would you minister to them now? Send your spirit into their hearts and heal them and restore them and make them free in your love. Raise them up with a resurrection power. Do a resurrection miracle because you are risen. We can rise today. We thank you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Let's stand and let's finish our service. Let's celebrate the one who is the resurrection and the life. Let's celebrate his love. Let's celebrate his forgiveness. Let's celebrate the worth that we have in Jesus Christ. We hope that this message has challenged and encouraged you. If you need prayer, would like to join a small group community, or are interested in partnering with our work throughout Costa Mesa and Orange County, please go to watermarkoc.com. We would love to start a conversation.